Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, I'm welcoming Dr. James Greenblatt to the show. Um, I wanted to focus a little bit more on natural and holistic approaches to ADHD and try to provide parents with more information about um, what resources are out there and what kind of approaches that they can take. And for that, um, I'm very excited to bring Dr. Greenblatt to the interview since he has a book that's called Finally Focused, which is the breakthrough natural treatment plan for ADHD. Dr. Greenblatt is a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine and has treated patients since 1988. He's dedicated to the personalized evidence-based treatment of mental illness. Dr. Greenblatt is the author of seven books, including Finally Focused that I just mentioned. He's the founder of Psychiatry Redefined, an education platform dedicated to the transformation of psychiatry. So let's just get into the episode for today. Hello, Dr. Greenblatt. I am so happy to have you here today on our show. Great. No, glad to be part of it and kind of share the work that I've been doing for almost 30 years now. Yeah. um, So you've been trained, you've been traditionally trained, right? What made you um, move towards looking at more integrative approaches um, for conditions like ADHD? Well, I actually went to medical school, you know, interested in nutrition and and, uh, kind of integrative and functional medicine, and then ended up coming out nine years later as a child psychiatrist, prescribing medicines um, for children. And, And quickly as a child psychiatrist, the practice becomes mostly ADHD. And, and I learned that, you know, the medicines were a band-aid and some kids didn't respond and there were many side effects and just started delving deeper into some of the underlying uh, causes and getting very good results. Uh, not for every child, but many, many kids, we can avoid medicines or certainly decrease medicines and use medicines without side effects. Yeah, um, you know, it. I think it gives so much hope to hear someone say that, that, you know, there is, there are a lot of options that go way beyond just medication, because a lot of the kids that um, that I work with, and I'm sure that, that you have had come in your office, they've just been on medication as the first line of, of helping support them. What are your views on, on medication for kiddos with, with ADHD? You know, my goal as a child psychiatrist is to, um, you know, help help the child, and and too often the child is, you know, in a, in a fight in the middle. One parent is saying no meds, the other parents give them meds. Um, my job is to just make sure the child's feeling better and doing well. So I, I haven't thrown away my prescription pad, and I do use meds, uh, but I, my goal is try to help parents understand that if we look first at some of these. Um, nutritional deficiencies or metabolic tests, we can often find something and we might eliminate the need for meds. Um, And if meds are necessary to help the child, I think it's fine, it's appropriate. But to just use it as a Band-Aid and never address, you know, either heavy metals that are contributing, um, the kids just end up suffering in the long run. 
Yeah. And so for, for kids that come into your practice, what is the first place that you like to start with, um, with their family? Well, I mean, helping parents and uh, understand the child and, and the illness. Uh, for years, too many parents and doctors just thought ADHD was a discipline problem, that it was a willful behavior problem, which means more punishments and more restrictions, which doesn't help. So I help um, the family understand that it's, it's likely a kind of neurobiological, it's the brain's ability to focus and pay attention and control impulses. And then I say, we need to uh, fix it. And we can do that, um, we, we need a biological approach. So we support parenting and we support behavioral therapies, but a biological approach is looking at these nutritional factors. So I share with the parents, my ideal treatment plan is to do testing, you know, blood, urine, hair, to look at these nutritional deficiencies so we can develop a plan to help their child. Yeah. What are some of um, the key deficiencies that you tend to see? I know that you mentioned um, quite a few in your book and for everyone listening, it's called Finally Focused. And I highly, highly recommend everyone um, to get a copy and to read it and to just, you know, learn so much that you share over there. So what are some of the main um, nutritional deficiencies that you see among children? You know, there are many and, and every child's unique. So it is frustrating for parents who just read a book and just say, I'm going to give my child, you know, zinc and some kids will benefit from zinc. Um, so the most common ones we see would be children with high levels of copper, which is usually in the water supply. And, and that results in a zinc deficiency. So zinc's uh, deficiency results from high copper. And probably the most common that I recommend every parent can give a child without any testing would be magnesium deficiency. Now that is um, affects sleep and stress and impulse control and anxiety. And um, I'm not quite sure I understand why, but I would say over 90% of our kids that we tested with ADHD have magnesium deficiency and benefit from magnesium supplements. Yeah, and how soon can parents see an, an improvement in their um, in, in the kid's behavior? Well, with some of the uh, treatments that we talk about, like magnesium, you know, in a couple of weeks they might be sleeping better, um, but it's usually two to four weeks. We we uh, discuss nutritional lithium, um, so a, a nutritional supplement. Sometimes people will see a difference in impulse control and irritability in a couple of weeks. Um, I think a nutritional approach, patients and parents need to be patient. It's usually about three months, but um, you can see differences in about a month for many of these kids. Yeah. And so for things like, like magnesium um, or you mentioned zinc, what are the behaviors that we're trying to help um, or what, what are the kids coming to, what kind of symptoms and signs are they showing that we're trying to address using those supplements? Sure, I, th I think magnesium is just such a common uh, deficiency and it affects hundreds of enzymes in the brain. So the magnesium usually it, it decreases hyperactivity and some impulse control. A zinc uh, over time, not as quickly, can help with attention. The lithium, the nutritional lithium is really targets that irritability 
and sometimes the aggression. Some of the kids that can't control uh, their, their physical aggression gets in fights, kids kicked out of preschool. Um, those respond to uh, lithium very nicely. Yeah, and sometimes when you mention lithium, um, a lot of parents can just, you know, go towards the, just worry about giving such a strong supplement. But it really- yes, well, it, Yeah, it's very important uh, as you alluded to, it's not a medication. It's a supplement that's in our water. So it's uh, it's been around for, you know, since the earth was formed, lithium's in the soil, in the water. And the research is quite clear that the amount of lithium in the water that we're drinking affects mental health and mental illness and, and even suicide rates. So we need a little lithium. I'm convinced there's a subset of kids with ADHD, again, that irritable aggressive form that have a lithium deficiency and we give them small amounts, you know, that just in a, in a supplement you can buy online, one or two milligrams and a behavior improves pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, are there any particular kinds of dosages for say magnesium or zinc or even lithium that, that you recommend? You know, it's certainly um, depending on the age and I certainly would, you know, talk to a healthcare professional. The lithium, I start everyone on one to two milligrams, tiny doses. Um, the magnesium, again, depending on the age, could be a couple hundred milligrams and the zinc, you know, 15 or 30 milligrams. So these aren't what's called mega doses. These are just kind of supplemental dosages that um, either because of dietary, the kids aren't getting enough in their diet and or they're just um, genetic differences that um, require higher needs. Yeah. And so you talked um, a few times about diet and, and nutrition. And so what is the link between that? I know that, you know, we've spoken um, before of, of, of children with ADHD and how sugar seems to really, really affect them. Sometimes um, they can be things like gluten or dairy um, sensitivities or intolerances that can play a part. Um, what do you see the role of nutrition um, for children? Well, I mean, I think it's quite obvious to most of us, certainly if you've had children, um, the research, you know, when I first started 30 years ago, the scientific research said sugar had no effect on ADHD. There was a couple studies done, but over the past 10 or 15 years, the research is quite clear that the amount of, you know, it's called the sugar sweetened beverages, the, the sodas and the fruit juices uh, dramatically increase the rates of ADHD. So sugar sweetened beverages, have profound implications for behavior. I think the, the, the soft drinks that have high phosphates um, deplete magnesium and that has implications for behavior. Um, so typically um, a higher protein diet, trying to minimize refined sugar is the best recommendation. I don't recommend every parent take their child off gluten and dairy. Um, but there is a subset of kids that do have food allergies or food intolerances, particularly the younger kids, four to seven, and you just remove the offending foods and, and behavior changes quite dramatically. Yeah, and how do you find those offending foods? So whether if it is gluten or dairy or if it's something else altogether, how can parents start identifying them? Um, for the younger kids, many parents um, see changes in, the, in their face. They, they, these are kids that have, um, their, their face gets red, 
their ears get red, they get flushed, um, uh, there are dark circles under the eyes. Um, so some parents will notice the effect right away. Um, and that is a reason. Other parents, have foods that the child craves, they, they can't kind of not have dairy at every meal. Um, and then there's testing. There's something called food sensitivity testing that you know, we try to do on every um, child under 12 to help parents um, have a, at least a game plan of what foods to try to limit. Yeah, and that all of these also kind of go back to the root cause of, of gut health, right? So how, um, what kind of balance of good or bad bacteria these children have? What kind of role does gut health play with, um, with these children with ADHD? Uh, for some children, it, it's the main problem. For other kids, it's not a problem. And then many in the middle. So one of the other tests we talk about in the book is looking at the metabolites of the bacteria in the gut. And there are two big um, kind of uh, issues that could get in the way. One is for kids that have been on, on a lot of antibiotics, then a yeast overgrowth um, can be a factor in ADHD kids. And uh, another problem is a metabolite of a bacteria from Clostridia that affects the chemical in the brain, dopamine and norepinephrine. So we can detect this um, by a urine test. And these kids are typically anxious and agitated and hyperactive and we can treat it and those symptoms disappear. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, right? That there's, um, there's not one particular answer for any of these children, but there is this, um, this whole blueprint that you're talking about like, of, of things that could be connected. So it could be the diet, it could be nutrition deficiencies, it could be um, uh, like you'd mentioned a while ago about you know having heavy metals or other environmental um, toxicity, toxicity or you know things like that that can affect these children. Um, what in, in the environment of, of these children can, can parents be more cognizant about? Well, I mean, you know, in some ways it's a little overwhelming to think about some of the environmental factors that contribute to behavior. The most well-researched and common would be lead, which is still a huge problem um, uh, all over the uh, globe, uh, copper, and, and these are, um, simple task and, and if you get them early, you can treat them, but both have a high incidence of ADHD. The lead has been studied for many years, copper not as well studied, but one of the most common things that we find, particularly in kids that don't respond to medications. So it's lead and copper, but we also know that some of the pesticides um, affect zinc in particular and affect ADHD. And we also know that alcohol, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome, so drinking during pregnancy can affect um, behavior. And then there's a whole range of other chemicals and toxins that we just don't know enough about that probably does. So I think um, caution is, is needed, but the lead and the copper and the, um, are the most common um, environmental factors that we see and we can test for. Yeah. And how soon can parents start to um, work with their children. So, you know, they, a, a lot of times I've had parents say that they can't get a diagnosis 
till a certain age, but that they have this hunch that there is something wrong or that, you know, their kids are hyperactive and showing some signs and symptoms. How soon can they start working with their children? You know, I, I, parents are aware at age two and three and four, they're in play groups and their kid is, is more irritable and aggressive and they know something's wrong. And that's where more, more times than not, it's usually a food sensitivity. And particularly if they notice any GI symptoms or the red face or the red cheeks, um, they could start looking very early, the two and three-year-olds. But certainly by four to six, when they're in groups, um, the earlier you can treat, uh, the, the simpler it is, um, one for the child, but certainly for the parents. Yeah. You know, our doctors here in the States are, are using medications for kids four to six years of age. And I think that's tragic because usually we can find the root cause at that age. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's, it's interesting that um, medication is kind of used as, as a front line, right? And in many cases, no matter how, how young they are, even though there are solutions and, and there are answers like the way that you, you, you list out so well in your book. Um, a few of the other things that really stood out to me in your book, and especially with how, um, how successfully you were able to see to see changes in children's behaviors were th things like OPC and, and um, you know, omega-3s. Could you talk a little bit more about those and um, firstly what they are and then how can they help um, children with ADHD? Sure, the, the omega-3s are, are, are what's called essential fatty acids and uh, they're critical for health and, and you need to obtain them from the diet. So this is what we get from nuts and seeds and and fish, fish oil is the most concentrated source. And the brain is 60% fat. And these healthy fats help kids pay attention. They, if they're deficient, they increase risks for depression and anxiety. Not all kids with ADHD are deficient, but we can look for that and, and treat it. So it's re relatively simple. Uh, the OPCs, these are probably one of my favorite supplements because they do help attention in kids and adults. There's no real testing. Um, and I've been using them for almost 30 years now. So these are the, what's called phytochemicals, uh, which uh, the concentrates of blueberries, a grapeseed extract, green tea, curcumin. And um, these uh, we have found in combination uh, better than one individual uh, phytochemical really decreases um, the inattention and helps kids and adults focus. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've spoken to a bunch of parents and, and they, one of their worries always is that their kid is that their child is not able to fully focus on the task at hand or gets overwhelmed and tends to forget what their next, what was expected off of them. Right. So if we ask them to, to get wear their shoes or get their shoes on um, halfway through getting to their shoe, they kind of get distracted and then just, you know, start doing other things or don't know what their purpose was to move the first place. Um, think if OPCs are, are helpful for things like that, wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've looked at some of the research and did some on our own. So those inattentive daydreaming brainwaves are referred to as theta waves. And so 
that's when you're thinking about other things. And the OPCs kind of just bring those theta waves down and help you pay attention and focus. So absolutely. I mean, I think our culture and both social media and the screens have certainly kind of cut our attention span pretty dramatically. Yeah. So there's certainly an environmental impact as well. But many of these kids are, there's a genetic uh, risk for ADHD. And these kids really struggle to sustain their attention for long periods of time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring up um, genetics, but uh, you know, we, there is an, an expression of having um, their, their genetic predisposition, but to have it show up and then to be able to, to help support those kids, um, it, it, it doesn't mean that if, if it's something it's in the family or if they're, they're predisposed that they will show up with those signs and symptoms. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think um, what typically is probably the most important thing I can share with parents is that having a diagnosis of ADHD is not necessarily a bad thing. Some of our ADHD kids and adults are the most creative and passionate and energetic people on the planet. It's just when you take that kind of innate um, creativity and passion and, and have them sit in schoolroom for six hours, there's a big disconnect. And so we're trying to support their strengths and, and kind of minimize um, some of their weaknesses. And so there might be an adult who has ADHD that found the right job and career and spouse and it just works, no impairment. And somebody else is really struggling, uh, the child in terms of self-esteem and failing um, because the school environment is very different than the you know, work or outside world environment. Yeah. And, you know, all of our kids, they have to go to school and then they are in that set structure of having to sit for certain periods of time. Um, and, and I know that I read in your book of, of countless children who were able to show a lot of improvements through your, your protocols and just their attention span and their ability to sit and, and concentrate and be um, resourceful, um, you know, people in the class rather than being someone who either disrupts or then, or like you'd said, just be um, just daydreaming and not be involved. Right. I think it's just uh, very important that we do, you know, help parents understand the difference. And, and if you need medicines, again, it's not a failure. Um, the nutritional approach, you know, we're talking about can actually enhance a medication and minimize side effects. Some of these kids can't tolerate medicines because of the nutritional issues. So if we fix them, then they do tolerate medicines. And some of these kids have side effects to medicines that can disappear with uh, adding supplements like magnesium um, and zinc and, and lithium. Yeah. And you know, there are so many parents that have been from one medication to another because they just, it doesn't seem to work or they haven't had the kind of changes that they wanted to see in, in their child's mood and behavior. Um, how would they approach uh, like this nutritional approach to, to improving? Is there something that they need to do either before, like reduce medication, change it, support it with, um, with, with nutrition? How should they go about it? Well, I think that's the uh, group of, of kids that would be most responsive um, because they've tried medicines, it's not helping. Again, you know, 
stimulants helped 80, 90% of kids. And, and those kids that had poor response is likely something going on in their gut, nutritionally, um, metabolically, genetically. And those I think are the kids that would most benefit from looking at underlying nutritional approach. Yeah, and for those kids who who are not really seeing those, um, you know, big leaping changes in, in, in nutrition that we would probably want to see, what other alternatives do those parents have? Well, you know, I talk about a couple steps. Um, the nutritional deficiencies would be kind of step one, trying to identify those. And then step two is adding the, what we call nutraceuticals. And those would be the OPCs, blueberry, grapeseed extracts. Um, and we can also sometimes use what we call uh, amino acid precursors to help the brain, um, similar to the medications. What the stimulants do is increase dopamine and norepinephrine chemicals in the brain to help you focus. Well, there are some nutritional supplements that can also do that. And then, you know, the third piece is something called neurofeedback. So that is a kind of longer process, but we can help kids kind of retrain their brain um, in a biofeedback process. And then, you know, the fourth is medications. And for some kids, we need to do all four uh, to get the best results. Yeah. Um your feedback has been something I've been looking into um, and it seems to be um, something that has been helping a lot of children. Can you just give us a little bit more information for parents so that they can? Sure. I mean, we used to do it in our office. We had an ADHD clinic in the nineties um, and some kids did really well. Other kids didn't. So it was very hard to predict and it was very expensive. So that's when it was the same time I was using the OPCs and, and I would get the same results with, you know, a supplement that I got with, you know, three, four months of um, the, you know, um, neurofeedback. So the neurofeedback can be helpful. It's, it certainly is what's called training the brain. So I mentioned those theta waves, mm -hmm. the daydreaming brain waves are really high. So these kids are looking at a screen and without being aware, uh, once when their theta waves are going down, they get a reward, a beep, a buzz, a flash, and they kind of train their brain to decrease the theta waves. It's like exercising the brain. And over time, it can help, but the kids have to be motivated and it's pretty time consuming. And, and for some, it can be expensive. Yeah. And so a lot of these changes that, that you talk about, um, you did say that, you know, you need to be committed to it for a certain period of time. So, you know, anywhere between three months and, and more, how, is this something that parents have to stick with, with their children for like longer periods of time? Or is it something that once they start seeing improvements in their behaviors, they can just wean them off of these supplements? Yeah, these aren't, um, for most of the kids, these aren't lifelong supplements, um, usually helping them get on track, um, fix the deficiencies because these kids are young. Um, the dietary interventions, if parents can help improve the kid's diet, usually there's less need um, for some of the ongoing supplements. So it is uh, not a lifelong uh, kind of program. It's really supporting, um, you know, the current nutritional status and help support them through school um, and or primarily some of the behavior problems that have not been helped by 
parent training or behavioral management programs. Yeah, but does it require still having a, a, a keen eye on, on your child's behavior to see whether they can come up? Like I, I, you know, I hear a lot of children with seasonal allergies with their, with their behaviors just kind of peaking at around this time of the year. Um, so is it something that parents have to constantly keep an eye on their child to make sure that they're, um, that they're okay? Yeah, I mean, I think everything from, as you said, allergies, which affect the immune system and nutritional status, vitamin C and other nutrients that will exacerbate behavior, um, stress, bullying, um, you know, loss, uh, divorce. So there are a whole host of factors in the environment where parents do have to be aware and, um, and certainly understanding um, what's going on. And, and that's where parents have to learn how to listen and talk to their children. Yeah, and, and it's, it's amazing to see because our kids, we, we can get that, that feedback from them really fast. We can tell when there's something off if we're listening, if we're listening for those signs and symptoms um, the, the, the right way. Their bodies will tell us that there's something off more often. Absolutely. Than yeah. yeah, and so... I think through this podcast, I just wanted to give hope to parents, right? That there is more to to the treatment of ADHD than than just medication. And I think so. Just before we we go, I just wanted you to maybe tell parents and give them that hope that there is other things out there for them to look at and to consider um, beyond just medication. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I can share with. You and your audience have been sitting across from parents for 30 plus years, thousands and thousands of children, and quite convinced for ADHD that um, these kids can do better completely. Um, and the, the simplest way that I can kind of be 100% confident is to share with you that parents have to be open to both the concept of a nutritional um, what we call a functional medicine approach and medication. When the parents come in saying, I just want vitamins, I, I'm not sure. When the parents come in, I just want meds, I'm not sure. But the parents that either come in or that I can convince that if they're open to um, exploring nutritional status first and medicines if needed, I'm confident that these kids can function better and most importantly, feel better about themselves. And that's really the goal. So we have many kids who don't need medicines. Some kids need um, medicines with the supplements. Um, every child is different. And it's really important that we see that kind of individuality, um, embrace it, and, and make sure we help parents encourage their strengths as individuals and as passionate, creative uh, individuals. That just gives me goosebumps just to hear it, that there's hope and there's hope for recovery for a lot of these children. Thank you so much for coming on today um, and sharing all of this. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot here that parents can, can take in now and just consider and think about um, and try to help their kids. Again, you know, Finally Focused is, is your book. Um, and I highly, highly recommend that everyone gets a copy and reads it because there's so many resources. And I think it's so well explained in the book. 
that um, it can help parents walk them through some of these changes that they would intend to make. Great. Well, thank you for inviting me and um, really appreciate the uh, energy and effort you're taking to help educate uh, families. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.